0: So uh, several years ago, uh, I was preaching at our five o'clock worship gathering here at the cannery, and I'd gotten done with the sermon, and we typically, after most of our teaching times, we'll do this today, uh, anybody that wants prayer, they have the opportunity to go over to the respond banner. There'll be a prayer team there that's there to pray with you about anything. Maybe it's something that God's stirring in your heart, maybe it's a hardship that you're going through. It doesn't have to be a big deal or it can be a big deal. You come up and receive prayer. And so I was, I was over at the spawn banner uh, praying uh, with people and this young guy comes up in his early 20s and he was just, I could tell as soon as he walked up he was dejected, his, his shoulders were kind of slumped, his head was down, I could tell he'd been crying or at least was on the verge of crying. And he walks up to me and I said, how can I, how can I pray for you and he, he said, hey, He said, I've never done this before. He said, I'm kind of nervous. I've got this thing that's been on me. And he just begins to kind of talk in circles. And maybe you've been in that place before where you want to share something, but you don't have the courage to share it. Or maybe somebody's been trying to share something with you, but they don't have the courage to share it. And so as he was talking, I thought, man, this guy's about to unload something like really big on me. I didn't didn't know what it was, but I was ready to pray. And I said, just spit it out. Like, like, what do you want prayers for? And he's like, man, he's like, I need God to just give me a beautiful, godly woman to be a girlfriend. I need a girlfriend, man. That's what I am here for." And I loved it, I was kind of caught off guard, like, because, I mean, he was like pretty down, and uh, he was like really intense, I'm like, man, I would love to pray, I would love, I think, it'd be amazing, I'd love to, to pray that for you, you know, I knew this guy, and he was walking with Jesus, and I'm like, he would treat a woman uh, amazing, I'll get, here's his number, no, I'm joking, I'm, and uh, I'm like, I'd love, to, I'd love to pray for you, so i pray, and we get to the end of the prayer time, and I'm like, I'm like how do you feel? And he's like, eh, not great. <laughs> I'm like, how's that for a, a, a sales pitch? Come receive prayer today and, and don't feel too great after we pray. So, no, I get done praying, and the moment I get done praying, the person behind him is this beautiful young woman that was there to pray for the very same thing, and she grabbed him and kissed. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> like, if, if that happened, the prayer banner would be filled today. Like, people were just in line, just like, man, it's amazing. No. Um, I'll never forget this. I get done praying for him. He's not very encouraged. He, he looks out as everybody's worshiping. And he said, man, it's crazy to me. This seems like it should be easier than it is. This, women, this room is filled with all these godly women, most of whom would love to date me. He was confident, you know, and, and he's like, most of whom that I'd love to date. He's like, why? And this was the phrase that hit me. He said, why does something that should be so easy have to be so hard? Why does something that should be so easy have to be so hard? I don't know if you've ever resonated with that feeling. Maybe it hasn't been in your love life. Maybe, Maybe it's been in your career where on paper things look like they should be easy, but in reality it's just been really hard. You know, on paper you've got all of the degrees, you have all of the experience, but you can't seem to get the job or maybe it's with your family of origin. You look at your family of origin on paper, it looks amazing. Everything seems like it should be great, but for whatever reason, you go home at Christmas and there's just no depth between you and your siblings and your parents or whatever it is. And it should be easy, but it's really, really hard. Or or maybe you've found it in interpersonal relationships or different things that you've gone after, but I I resonated with that statement that, that my brother shared years ago where he goes, man, I look out at the surroundings, I look at my circumstances, and why does something that should be so easy feel so hard. And I remember feeling that very distinctly when I moved to Nashville almost 20 years ago. I came here, I didn't, I didn't know hardly anybody. And from my perspective, as I was coming to Nashville, I'm like, this is the belt buckle of the Bible belt. It is like, you know, it is like the center of Christianity in America. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how I felt, you know, when I, when I came to Nashville. And I thought, this should be the easiest place on planet Earth to find Christian community, I remember just feeling that, like this should be the easiest place to find Christian community. But what my experience showed me over the next several years is that in some ways, it it is one of the most difficult places to find Christian community. Now, let me be clear about this. It was easy to find friends that went to church. It was easy to find friends that professed Jesus. (laughs) It was easy to find friends that had some shared sense of moral authority around the scriptures in their life. It was easy to find that, but to find what you see in the scriptures, this, this picture of a community that is built around the lordship of Jesus, filled with the spirit of Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus above everything else. I like, go, oh man, finding that community is really tough. And I found myself just jumping like church to church to church, community to community to community, just going, in. when am I going to find that thing that I'm looking for? Because on paper, it seemed like it should be so easy in a city like this where everybody seems to be Christian. Every company has a Christian logo or Christian motto or, you know, music is Christian. Everything is Christian here, but why is community so tough to find? And I wrestled and and I know, you know, getting to serve this church for over a decade, that's so many of your stories, so many of us, we have given ourselves wholeheartedly to community, we've been hurt by it, we've been disappointed by it, we've been frustrated by it. Some of you have been in this church for a long time, and you have tried desperately to find community, you've done everything we've asked you to do, and at the end of the day, you go, I still can't find that thing. Why is something that should be so easy? Why does it feel so hard? And so today, like later today, we're gonna give you the opportunity to get into house churches, which are smaller groups in our community here. It's the way that we get together in the midst of the week and we try to live out community. They don't start for a few more weeks. You can sign up today, but before those even started, we wanted to take three weeks as a church and just go, when we talk about community, what is it that we're actually talking about so we're looking for and running after the same thing? And so if you're with us two weeks ago, Aaron talked about this word community, what it means. You know, if you're the type of person that likes to take notes, I love what he said. He said, community literally just means common unity. Common unity. And so Christian community, it means we have some commonalities in what it is that we're unified around. And so two weeks ago, we talked about we have this common unity around the person of Jesus, around the lordship of Jesus, around... The the grace and the leadership and the saving work of Jesus, like we have common unity around Jesus, and next week we're gonna look at the way that we have common unity around the purposes of Jesus. So how do we serve together, live together, love together, be on this great adventure with God together? But today, I don't want us to talk about just the person of Jesus or the purposes of Jesus, I want us to talk about how a community that's in Christ is filled with the very presence of Jesus. That to be a Christian community means that Christ Himself is present in the community. Like think about it, like to be a Christian community, it's not just about your habits. It's not just about the way that you use your Sunday morning. It's not just about your morality. It's not just about uh, the way that you try to steward your life and your time and your sexuality and your money and your service. All those things are good and fine. But the essence of being in Christian community means that Jesus himself is not just at the center of it, but that his presence pervades all of it. And that if Christ is not present, I don't care what the sign on the front of the building is, I don't care what the name on the Insta feed is, I don't care what it is that it's been called, if Christ is not present, it's not a Christian community. And so to go, okay, hey, Jesus, how as we come into this season, out of this really weird 18 months that we've been in where all of us know we need relationship, but we don't just need relationship with people that look like us, talk like us, vote like us, think like us. We need people that have bowed their knee to King Jesus, that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that are committed to the work that he's called us to do. And so what does it look like to be a people marked by the tangible presence of King Jesus? I love what Moses said. If you remember that story in Exodus 33, The people of God had been called out of Egypt. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land that God has made them for, but they've rebelled against God once again. And God is fed up, which some of you are not comfortable with that idea, guys, but that's the reality. God gets fed up with the people. And he says, I'll give you my promises. He says, I'll give you everything that I told you I would give you, he says, but my presence cannot dwell with you the way that you're living. And maybe you remember what Moses said in Exodus 33. He says, God, he says, please do not send us into the land. Don't provide for our needs. Don't protect us from harm unless your presence is gonna be with us. And this is the statement that hit me. He said, because if your presence does not go with us, how will any of the other nations of the earth distinguish us? Guys, it is the presence of God that makes a Christian community Christian. It is the presence of God. That's why Jesus looked at the disciples before he was getting ready to return to heaven. He says, I'm sending you out on this great mission. He says, but here's the good news. He says, when you walk with me in obedience to me, when you walk under the authority of my lordship, he says, good news, he says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, church is not just coming and listening and singing and talking about God and thinking about God, it's doing life with God, that he's here, he's among us. His presence. So Paul said in Ephesians chapter two, 19 through 20, he looked out at this collection of house churches that was scattered across the the city of Ephesus. And he looks out at this church and he says, God, by his grace, he is building us together in these messy relationships, these interconnected communities, so that, listen to this, so that the presence of God could dwell in you. Guys, think about this. I don't know how many of you came in here this morning expecting this. It's like, oh, i hope I meet some new people. Hope the worship's good. Hope the message is encouraging. No, the, the vision of God for this thing that we're in right now, this room that we're in, these people that we're among, the vision of God is that by the grace of God, the presence of God would be made known here. That what took place on Sinai, the the, the glory that was seen in the tabernacle, the, the power of God's presence that was seen in the temple, what was experienced in the flesh and blood of Jesus would be seen in your midst. And that Jesus isn't just interested in getting you to change your behavior or giving you a get out of jail free card. He has made you to feast upon, to dwell within his presence in a Christian community is only Christian, if Christ is, somebody help me out, if Christ is present, it's present. But what does that look like? (laughs) Like what's it look like? Because have you ever noticed, like in church, it's possible to use these big words, talk about these big things, but to to live a life that is largely unaffected by the things you claim to believe? So so what does it look like when, when the presence of God begins to get a hold of the community. And we're gonna look at this moment at Acts chapter two this morning. i give you the cliff notes from Acts two. Acts chapter one picks up with Jesus after the resurrection. He's getting ready to return to heaven. He spent 40 days with the disciples. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then at the end of Acts chapter one, Jesus returns to heaven and he leaves them this big promise. He says, I'm gonna fill you with my presence. I'm gonna fill you with the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give you my power. Like, it's this amazing promise that Jesus makes. In other words, Jesus does not look at his disciples and say, guys, here's the game plan. For the next 2,000 years, give me an hour each week where you sit in a bunch of rows around strangers, sing songs you barely like, and try to live better than your coworkers. That's not the grand vision of Jesus for your life or for his church. Jesus says, wait here, He says, I am going to give you one third of heaven's resources. One third of the Trinity is going to dwell not just within you individually, but within you communally. The presence of God. And so they heard that promise. 120 believers get in a room. They pray for 10 straight days. How desperate, how inspired you have to be to pray for 10 straight days. Oh, that God would give us that hunger again. Man, before you see an Acts 2 revival, you find an Acts 1 people. And they're praying and they're longing, God, come on, come Lord, come Lord, come Lord. Acts chapter 2, they're there in the midst of this religious festival, the day of Pentecost. That's another sermon for another day. In the midst of their praying, the Spirit, the presence of God is poured out on this ragtag group of men and women just like you and I. And they begin to stand up in the midst of this religious ceremony. They begin to to share the gospel of Jesus. They begin to teach the good news of who he is. And it says that the Holy Spirit began to do a work in the life of the believers. They confessed their sins. They repented of their broken way of life. They were baptized. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And all of a sudden, everything you read for the rest of the book of Acts is an outworking of a group of people that were gathered around the person of Jesus and now had been filled in a fresh way by the presence of Jesus. And what Luke is gonna describe here in Acts chapter two is just a picture of what a spirit-led, spirit-empowered, present-filled church actually looks like. Look at Acts two, starting in verse 42. We'll just read through this together. These new converts, verse 42, it says, "'They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching "'and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread "'and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe "'at the many wonders and signs "'that were performed by the apostles.'" And all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together, I love this, with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord himself, I love that, the Lord himself added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's this moment where a group of people, they encounter Jesus, not just as a spiritual mascot, not just as a therapist to give them some advice or to help them through, but they encounter Jesus, the risen Lord. And they center their community around the person of Jesus. The spirit of God is poured out on them. The the presence of God begins to fill Their life, And then this description, verse 42 through 47, is what that community began to look like now that the presence of God was dwelling richly among them. And there's all of these ways that we could talk about the presence of God, but I just wanna look at a few pictures that pop out of Acts 2. And this is not an exhaustive list, but if if you take notes, I just want you to notice several things. The first thing is this. And whenever the presence of God is welcomed, received, empowering a community, wherever the presence of God is, you will find people who are supernaturally committed to Jesus and to his people. You will find people who are supernaturally committed to Jesus and his people. Look back at verse 42. It says they devoted what? They devoted themselves. They didn't need a pastor to do it. They didn't need their parents to do it. They didn't need a roommate to do it. They didn't need their friends to do it. See, guys, this is the the big difference between a religious spirit and a church that has been touched by the spirit. See, a religious spirit goes, how little can I get away with and still be okay with God? That's what a religious spirit says. A religious religious spirit says, how much I have to serve to be okay? How much I have to give to be okay? How often I have to read the Bible to be okay? uh. But guys, when, when you get touched by the presence of God, When you encounter the presence of God, the natural outworking of that reality is self-devotion, supernatural commitment to the word of God, to the people of God, to talking and listening to God, to to, to getting in homes, to gathering on Sundays. There's this this hunger that is birthed in you when you encounter the presence of God. So I know a good friend of mine recently, he's a pastor here in the city and their church has just been ravaged by COVID. It's been so tough used to be a really large church. It's pretty small. And he's like, I hate pastoring right now. He says, because I never know who's gonna show up this week. He said, you know, I get half the people, half the time. It's just like a revolving door of people. He says, how can we do anything significant together? And I, I won't forget what he said. He said, I think we have a participation problem. He said, most of our people show up once or twice a month at best, very few of them are reading their Bibles, very few of them are praying, very few of them are doing anything. And I go, okay, maybe you do have a participation problem, but I think it's more significant than that. I think you have a problem of presence. Because when people encounter the presence of God, you don't have to convince them, you don't have to twist their arms to do the thing that God has made them for. Something happens when you encounter his presence remember years ago, a young woman in her church, she became a follower of Jesus. In the first 40 days, she was a follower of Jesus. She read the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's like, whoa. I was like, who told you to do that? She's like, nobody. She said, I was just so hungry for the word of God. She said, it's all I wanted to read. I'm like, wow, you've encountered the presence of God. Or think about a guy who, he got touched by the grace of God in his life and he decided once a week he was gonna use his lunch break to go across the street to the rescue mission and to serve. And I go, who told you to do that? And he said, I don't know. He said, just the goodness of God has gotten a hold of my life. And he said, it's all I wanna do. He and his family started using some of their vacation days and they'd stay in Nashville and they'd go serve amongst the poor together. We didn't ask him to do that. Nobody made him do that. But when he encountered the presence of the living God... He began to devote himself to the things that matter. See, when, when the presence of God fills a community, there's this supernatural commitment. Second thing I noticed this week, it's not just supernatural commitment. There's this supernatural sense of awe for God. Look, look back at this with me. Verse 43, it says, everyone was filled with awe. Everyone was filled with awe. Guys, I'm convinced one of the greatest challenges of American Christianity is not our lawlessness, but our awlessness. It's not just that we sin, it's not just that we're cavalier with our choices and our behaviors, it's that a lot of us have fundamentally lost our affection for King Jesus. And we spent so long just singing, Jesus is a friend, is a friend next to us. We forget that he is the holy one, high and lifted up, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. And although he is your friend, he is unique and he is different than you. And wherever there is no awe in a church, you end up with worship that is mechanical and lackluster and lifeless and heartless and pathetic. But when we encounter the presence of God, When Jesus is high lifted up among us, when we think about his eternal beauty, his grace, his kindness, his mercy, his love, his significance, his holiness, when we see him for who he is, we come to our feet in awe and worship is a response. It's a volcanic response. I've never ever been in a worship gathering where the worship sucked because the worship leader was bad. I've been in lots of terrible worship gatherings where the people themselves had just lost sight of the beauty and the awe of Jesus. And we were never actually worshiping. We were just singing words into the air. see, so when the presence of God is there, there's this supernatural commitment. When the presence of God is there, there is this supernatural awe. It just begins to rise up in us like the water. Just filling, just filling us. God, what do you want to do? presence of God filled this community, supernatural commitment, supernatural awe. Number three, there was supernatural power. I love this, it says they were filled with awe, verse 43, at the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. Guys, I don't know, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus' vision for the church and the world is not that we just sit captive to the darkness like everybody else. It's not that we lay around like a bunch of spiritual victims, He says, no, I have filled you with the power of the Holy Spirit to push back darkness, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to to do things you can never do on your own. He He says, that's what you've been made for. But so few of us believe it. I love this picture of the early church in Acts chapter two. They were gathering together around the person of Jesus, filled with the presence of Jesus. And folks were showing up who didn't even believe in Jesus, but they knew that the church was the place where you went to to get darkness dealt with. In Acts chapter five, people were coming from all over and they're showing up at the church. And it says they didn't even know what to make of these early Christians, but their sicknesses were being healed. Their demons were being cast out. Darkness was being dealt with. Guys, when we gather on Sundays, when we gather in house churches, when we get together in these little communities, we are not just coming as a committed people or a people that are in awe of Jesus. We are coming believing that the power of God will be manifest in our lives for the good of others. And I want to be clear, you don't control this power. You don't wield this power, but we are under the submission of King Jesus and his power. And in his mysterious ways, he touches our lives. I could tell you lots of stories. There's one that I've been wrestling with all week, just kind of... I didn't even know if I wanted to share this or not, but earlier this spring, we were in our house church, meets in my, in my living room. Half of our house church was out of pocket because of COVID. They're in quarantine, or, you know, just that's how the whole year was for all of us. Small little house church that night. Um, nothing super special or significant. You know, it's not like we're having this revival in our house church. We were just in our house church. We were praying. We had eaten a meal. Kids were running around like crazy. It was loud. It was chaotic. It did not feel o- overly spiritual, just to be very clear. And so we were taking turns praying for people in the house church and my wife, Sydney, we got to the end of it. She said, hey, we need to pray for Jack. Jack is my eight-year-old son and uh, Jack had this physical condition that had, had bothered him for most of his life but had really gotten bad over the last couple of years. And so Sydney's like, we need to pray for Jack. And if I'm just being really honest, what Jack needed was a miracle. And if I'm just being very confessional, I did not expect God to do much. And I hate that that's true. I'm just telling you where my heart was that night. I'm like, it's long, we've gone late. The kids are restless, babe, let's, let's pray. And so Jack sits down on the floor and we surround him and we, we lay hands on him. And hey, guys, I'm telling you the truth before God and before even our house church, some of our house churches here, they can testify. If you don't believe me, I'll connect you with them. But we're, we're praying over my son, Jack. My six-year-old son, Judah, begins to pray over him just this sweet, simple, powerful prayer. And it's another story for another day, but God miraculously healed our son in our living room. And I'm like, I don't even know how to make sense of what I've just seen. And it's not like revival broke out that night. People didn't just start praising God, it was weird. People are like, wait, what just happened here? People are confused. I went to bed that night in total doubt. I'm just, I'm just being confessional, I'm in bed going, God, please let the miracle take, don't let it undo. I wake up in the morning, I go and check on Jack. I'm like, buddy, you still healed, he's still healed. I'm like, wow. Two days went by, two weeks went by, two months went by. Here we are several months in. I go, he's still healed. And the joke in our family is every now and then I'm like, hey, buddy, you still healed? He's like, yeah, damn, I'm still healed. <laughs> we also prayed for my wife, Sydney, that, last, that night. She's been battling chronic back pain for 16 years. And for whatever reason, God did not answer or display his power in the same way. Why? I don't know but he's good, and I know when we gather around his presence, there is commitment, there is awe, and there is a demonstration of his power. Can you imagine what would happen in your life, in your neighborhood, in your dorm room, on your campus, in this city, if every non-believer in the city went, I don't even know if I believe any of the stuff that you believe, but I do believe, if I come to you with my heartache and my darkness, God will touch my life. Guys, that is God's vision. That is God's vision. I long for the day when you cannot get your car in this parking lot because the sick and the demon possessed and the heartbroken are lined up in the streets, and you and I are just spending our time just praying over them that God would do something. When the presence of God draws near. There's this supernatural commitment. There's this supernatural awe. There's this supernatural power. There's this supernatural generosity. I love, I love the way that he keeps going. He's just describing what happened in their community. It says, all the believers, verse 44, were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. And so there's this picture of this supernatural generosity, both with their possessions physically and their spiritual gifts. I loved watching the way that this unfolded in the last year. People in our church went through unbelievable hardship. They lost loved ones, they lost jobs. There were people in our church this year who decades of sin finally caught up with them and it cost them absolutely everything. And in the context of community, God showed up with the generosity of his church and people began to care for them. Over the last year we had more people in our church lose jobs than any other year, maybe all of the other years combined. And every week there was someone in our church saying, hey, I wanna give a part of my paycheck to pay this person's rent, can you help me do it? Hey, we wanna help with this need, or this need, or this need, or this need. Guys, it was unbelievable what God was doing, the generosity that flows out of us being in the presence of God. Do you know why you become more generous when you're in the presence of God? Because when you're hanging out with the one who has everything, you will never be worried about needing anything ever again. When you're hanging out with the one that has everything at his disposal, you're never like, oh man, how am I gonna make this work? See, you can empty yourself when you're walking with the one that is marked by fullness. In the presence of God, they became generous with their possessions. They became generous with God with the, the spiritual gifts he had given them. Whether you know this or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. You have multiple spiritual gifts. Some of you have the gift of tongues or prophecy or healing or leadership or service or mercy or whatever it is that God has given you. And that gift is not for you. That gift is for the good of somebody else. That's what First Corinthians 12 verse seven says. Your gift is for the common good. I don't know if you've done this yet this morning, but I just wanna encourage you. Please don't ever come to Ethos Church again and sit through one of our gatherings without asking Jesus who it is that you need to minister to before you leave. Today, before you leave, just, uh, Lord, who do I need to serve today? Who do I need to bless today? Who do I need to encourage today? Who do I need to strengthen today? I guarantee you, there is somebody in this room today and your investment in them will be the answer to the prayer they've been praying in the secret place. Just ask the Lord. When God was present among them, There was this supernatural commitment, this supernatural awe. There was this supernatural power. There was this supernatural generosity. Number five, there was this supernatural depth of relationship. Supernatural relationships. I love this. Verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes When I read the scriptures, I read them with a historical bias, and here's what I mean by this. I reflect back on their life, and I I don't know what life was like in the first century for them, but I reflect back on it, and I'm like, I bet you they just had wide-open calendars. They didn't have soccer games. They didn't have, you know, an NBA that they're working on on the weekend. You know, they, they didn't have any of that stuff. You know, sometimes when I reflect back on the New Testament church, I'm like, I bet you they were all just kind of bored, just walking around on dirt streets and stuff and being spiritual, you know? And I go, their life, Not only was it just as complex as yours, most of them were living day to day, not week to week or month to month or year to year. And when the presence of God invaded their life, all of a sudden there was this depth of relationship. They were going, hey, how do we get together? Like high school sweethearts that are going, how do we just meet up? Like, how do we get together? Let's meet in big settings. Let's meet in small settings. Let's meet tonight. Let's meet early in the morning. Just whatever it takes, they knew they needed one another because when the presence of God draws you to Jesus, he also draws you to others. There's this depth of relationship. I love this. It says they met every day. I say this with all love, all kindness, all compassion. It's really, it's really where it's flowing from in my life. I'm just telling you, show me a Christian that only sees other Christians once or twice a month, and I'll show you someone that's struggling to live out the Christ-like life. We need each other, and we need each other more than these big settings on Sunday. You need each other more than once a week in a house church. You need daily commitment, conversation, talk, and text, and pray, like, God, help us. And I love what you see is these supernatural relationships that are, that are blossoming up, and I love the way that they're described. It so says that they came together daily, and that they were marked by gladness and sincerity of heart. It doesn't mean they didn't have hardship. It doesn't mean that things weren't sad. It doesn't mean that none of them were struggling with sin, but it means that when they came together communally, The presence of God's gladness filled the room. Gladness, guys, is the aroma of heaven. It's the reason in our house church, every time we get together, my wife, Sydney, will cook a huge meal and we'll spend the first hour just eating and talking and laughing and sometimes crying and sharing our hearts. Before we ever preach a sermon, we try to live a sermon of God's gladness in our midst. It says they were marked by gladness and sincerity of heart. In other words, they weren't wearing masks anymore. They weren't pretending anymore. They weren't giving the answer. Guys, it was, I was so encouraged. A few minutes ago, I ran into a dear brother of mine who's a part of our church, and, and he and I were washing our hands in the bathroom, and I said, hey, how, how's, how's life? And he, guys, this is crazy. This is gonna blow your minds. He looked at me, and he told me the truth, how life is. Do you know how rarely that happens in Nashville? <laughs> hey, how are you? Good, great. God's blessing me. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, Hey, I, I want to tell you. And I was like, Man. And just immediately, the ability for God to do work there. Supernatural relationship. Supernatural relationships. Supernatural generosity. Supernatural power. Supernatural awe. Supernatural commitment. I can just give you one more. Where the presence of God is, they're marked by supernatural impact. Supernatural impact. I love verse 47. It says, they came together in these communities, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord himself added to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, the church in Jerusalem did not grow because they had a great college outreach. It didn't grow because they had a great strategy in the city. It didn't grow because their on-ramps to join house churches was so seamless and beautiful. The church in the city grew because Jesus himself looked down at that group of people and he went, man, my presence is there and these people can be trusted with those that are hurting. How amazing is that? And all of a sudden, this little church began to have this incredible, far-reaching impact, not just in their city, not just in that year, but across the decades and the generation and the continents and the nations. And you and I are here as a part of that. And I go, you have no idea what God wants to do when the presence of God draws near. And so here in just a few minutes, we're gonna have the opportunity, we're gonna worship, we're gonna receive communion together, I'm gonna send you out and you're gonna have the opportunity to to sign up for a house church to get in a small group and they don't start for several weeks, today's your day to sign up if you wanna do that. But I just wanna encourage you, like some of you are sitting here today and you go, man, I have tried that before and it has let me down and I believe you. I have tried that before and it has been shallow, it has been awkward. Some of you have sat in house churches surrounded by strangers once a week, Kids running all over the living room, that random neighbor that shows up and gives you his political opinion every week, although nobody's asking for it. Some of you are trying to currently figure out how to get out of your old house church. It feels like a relationship that you can't break off. It's so terrible. That's been some of your experience and I don't deny any of that, but I'm just saying this is, this is God's chosen vehicle. What I mean by that is small communities of people surrendered to King Jesus, filled with his Holy Spirit to, to accomplish his purposes in the world. And if the only way that you're experiencing life with other believers is in large settings like this, you're gonna cut yourself off from a deep opportunity to grow. God wants to do something. And so for some of you, this is your first step today. You've never taken a stab at smaller communities. Just try it. When you leave, you'll see a tent out front. They'll tell you what to do. It's easy to sign up on the app. We'll give you all the instructions later. For some of you, it's that first step. For some of you, you're already in a smaller community. And if you're honest, that community does not look like what you see in Acts chapter two. And I just wanna encourage you, instead of giving up on that group, call that group together and say, hey, can we raise our vision higher for what God has for us? There's some of you that your community right now, it is a picture of Acts two. In fact, you look at Acts two and you go, I feel sorry for them. Their community is so terrible in comparison to ours. And there's some of you that are feeling that strength and I go, Man, would you take the fire of God's beauty and his glory and would you blow it on all of these other folks in here? Would you share what it is that you have? And wherever you're at in that journey, whether it's a first step or it is a step again or whether it's in just leaning into what God's already called you to do, it's gonna require you coming to the table with two things, great expectation that God actually wants to do this and great patience because it will feel like it will take forever for him to do this. Great expectation that when you show up that you will experience commitment and awe and power and generosity and friendship and impact and all those things that you will experience that great expectation. May we not limit God to our personal experiences but instead ask God to expand and stretch our personal experiences to what his word says. And so it's coming with great expectation but secondly, with great patience. And so what we're gonna do today, before we receive communion, before you can come up for prayer, before we sign up for house churches is we're just gonna take a few minutes right now, we do this every Sunday, we pray in community, and we're gonna ask God to fill our church in a fresh way again with the power of his presence. You can pray for your friend group, you can pray for your roommates, you can pray for your house church, you can pray for your dorm, you can pray for your neighbors, for your family. Whatever, but I wanna encourage you right now, go ahead and circle up with two to three people next to you. You can circle your chairs. This is the last worship gathering of the day. If you don't wanna pray with someone next to you, just look at them and say, I don't wanna pray with you. You're not spiritual enough for me. I don't like you. <laughs> you. know, I've got COVID, whatever you need to say. Just say, I don't wanna pray with you, okay? And you can pray on your own, seriously. Just say, hey, I wanna just reflect on my own, that's fine. But circle your chairs up right now. This prayer prompt is gonna be up on the screen and take some time out loud to pray that the Spirit of God will be poured out on our church in a fresh way and then we'll take communion together and end with the time of worship. So circle up, let's pray.